Please remain standing for the reading of the word. I'm reading from Romans chapter 8. Starting with verse 14. Romans 8, starting with verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, we pray that you bless your word and that you speak through it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a wonderful text where Paul is telling us we no longer fear slavery, for we are sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ, and by the Spirit in the Son, we cry, Abba, Father. You know, and looking at that text, I'm reminded of how Jesus himself taught his disciples how to pray. Jesus begun, began his prayer with our Father. Now we know that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son. We know that he is uniquely the Son of God. In fact, we know that he was from all eternity the Son of the Father. We know that on earth he was the only one who could by nature and by right, call God his Father. But when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he didn't say, my Father, although he was fully within his rights to restrict it. He said, our Father, as though opening the circle of his sonship to others. He prayed, our Father. Father, as though opening as a gift his relationship to the Father to others. In effect, he starts his prayer by saying, I'm allowing you to come alongside me and to call my Father your Father. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, contains within it the entire gospel. It tells us that the reality, the circle that Jesus enjoys in his relationship of love with the Heavenly Father in the Holy Spirit is now an open circle that brings us in, that encircles our lives, and that changes us 
from slaves to sons and daughters. Our Father, that's the gift. That's the gift that prayer enjoys. That's where prayer begins. Now, I may not know how to pray. Paul tells us in Romans 8, down in verse 26, that in weakness, sometimes I don't know what to say. Sometimes words fail me. In the Pentecostal tradition, we talk about groans too deep for words that come out in stammerings and stutterings and glossolalic utterances. I may not know how to pray, but I know that my spirit will cry, Abba. I know down in the darkness, down in the deepest pits of sorrow and feelings that I might have of abandonment, I know that even there I will cry, Abba, Father. It's the one prayer that will always be there, that is rock bottom to the gift of prayer, that is the place from which I begin because Jesus makes that prayer possible. And by the gift of the Holy Spirit, I know I will always cry that prayer. It will always be the capacity of my spirit because of the spirit of Jesus, God's son, that dwells within me. Now, there's a background to this text. Paul is contrasting slavery to sonship. We know that going back into the Old Testament, Israel was called out of slavery to sonship. That was part of Israel's election. But it's interesting when you read Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Hosea 11, 1 says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. God calling Israel from slavery to sonship. But notice verse 2 of Hosea 11, the very next verse. But the more I called them, the further away from me they went. Israel's sonship, Israel's election, remains a foreshadow, remains unfulfilled. Jesus Christ would come as the one and only son to fulfill that election. He passes through the Red Sea of his baptism and he goes out into the desert. But this time he does it right. He is the faithful son. Instead of murmuring and complaining and crying after manna, he refuses to eat bread because he's living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And instead of foolishly testing and tempting God, through foolish actions, he refuses to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple. And instead of being wowed by the power and wealth of the nations and bowing a knee to those things, he worships only God. He emerges from the desert, mightily empowered of the Spirit and mightily led of the Spirit, and he goes out to seek and to save the lost. He opens his table fellowship to the outcasts. He tells a story about an elder son who was supposed to care for his younger brother, who was supposed to go out into the far country to find him and to bring him home, but who doesn't do any of those things. 
And when the outcast son finds his way to the table of the father, the elder son resents it and begins to complain. The elder son is a picture of the leadership of Israel. And Jesus is telling them that they are far from the heart of the father. Hosea 11, 1 and 2. Out of Egypt I have called my son, but the more I have called them, the further from me they have gone. Jesus is the faithful elder son. He goes out into the far country. He takes the outcasts. He carries them back to the father. He includes them in the table of fellowship. Jesus descends on the cross down into the depths of our slavery. Not just Israel's slavery, but the slavery of all of humanity going all the way back to Adam himself. You see, the slavery into which the faithful son would descend is far deeper in nature than any slavery one could experience at the hands of Pharaoh. The problem is much deeper than that. What the cross tells us is that the territory in which the elder son must go is far deeper and more horrific than any human mind could ever imagine. The far country into which we have gone and to which the faithful son must go to find us and to bring us back to the household of the father is deep and dark and hideous. It is the problem of sin and death and down into the depths of that despair the faithful son goes in order to redeem us and to bring us back to the household of the father. I love what Cory Ted Boob says. What the cross shows us is that no matter how deep the pit is into which we find ourselves, God's love is deeper still. And that's where the son goes. That's where he goes, the faithful son of the father, to take us home. He goes there as the man of the spirit in order through his resurrection to take us up into the spirit. I don't fear slavery. No matter how deep my despair might be, I know that the son has gone there ahead of me and that I pray in him. I don't fear the depths of despair anymore because I know it can't engulf me. It can't trap me. I pray in the Son. And because he has gone there ahead of me, and because he has delivered me, I pray in the Spirit, Abba, Father. No matter how deep my despair might be, God's love is deeper still. No matter how much I find myself tongue-tied, I can't find the words because of the anguish I might feel. I pray in the Son. I pray by the Spirit. I pray as a son of God. I never pray alone. I pray alongside Jesus in the Spirit of the living God. That's the promise. Don't fear slavery. You're a son. You're a daughter. And that's how you will always pray as a son and as a daughter of God. Abba, Father.
in heaven is the prayer that always comes to us. And so tongues of anguish can genuinely turn to tongues of joy. There is always that capacity time and again for tongues of anguish to become tongues of joy because by the Spirit of God, I pray in the Spirit, Abba, Father. What a wonderful thing this is when you think about it, how in the Son and in the Spirit, God has opened his life to us. It's like a wonderful circle of love when you think about it. I'm reminded of the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and the Holy Spirit is descending upon him and the Father is saying from heaven, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And there it is, a wonderful picture of God. It's, I, I tell my students at Vanguard where I teach that at the baptism of Jesus, it's as though God pulls back the curtain and says, now I'm showing you who I am. I'm the father who loves the son. And I'm the son who is devoted to the father. And I'm the spirit that gets poured out abundantly upon the son. And this is a wonderful circle of love. The father loves the son and the son loves the father and the spirit is bearing witness to that love and celebrating it. An overflowing river that moves out through and from the son to involve us in this circle. So the circle that constitutes God's very being is not a closed one, but an open one. Because in the sending of the Son and the outpouring of the Spirit, God opens the circle of his life to us to draw us in, to draw us into the divine embrace. We are drawn into that circle of love. And God, in opening his life to us in that way, allows himself to be wounded by our rejection so that in his embrace, we can be healed. What a marvelous understanding of God that lies behind this text. When I was raised in the church, I somehow got the idea, I, I don't know where it came from, if it was something that I just created in my own twisted imagination. But I had this idea of God as this uh, elevated ego up in the sky who acts upon the world with dictates to control everything. And if you step out of line, well, he'll zap you. That's a convenient thing to do. That's get rid of the opposition. And when I begin, began to really study the New Testament and Christian theology and Trinitarian theology. And all of a sudden I began to realize that God is this wonderful circle of love that gets opened up to humanity and that strives to bring humanity into that embrace. And when I think about how God allowed himself to be wounded so that in embracing us we could be healed, all of a sudden it just, it was like a a revolution of thought for me. I began to think of God in a very different way. We, brothers and sisters, 
live in the embrace of the triune God. By the spirit of sonship, we are drawn to the Son, the Son who himself was the man of the Spirit. We are by the Spirit drawn to the Son to repent and to recognize his liberating Lordship, to worship him and commune with him, and then in him to enjoy his relationship with the Heavenly Father and to pray alongside him and to pray in him, the Abba, Father. Every prayer is implicitly an Abba prayer. No matter how deep it might go, no matter how sorrowful it might be, it's an Abba prayer. No prayer is outside of this relationship because now I live in this circle. It embraces me and it won't let me go. And there is no reality that can rip me from its hands. There is no prayer that is not an Abba prayer. We may not feel it at the moment. We may not even think it at the moment. But that doesn't nullify its truth or make it any less significant. There is no prayer that is not an Abba prayer. That's praying in the Spirit. That's praying in the Son. Don't fear slavery. Don't fear the darkness. Don't think it could ever swallow you up. The Son has gone there before you. He has conquered, and you now pray in him. Let us pray. Lord, for some reason I just feel that there may be someone here who needs to understand the importance of the Abba prayer. that this is a reality in which we live and move and have our being. Lord, I pray that you comfort that heart, that in you we cry, Abba, Abba Father, our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for not only teaching us how to pray, but making prayer a reality. For not only teaching us how to pray, but for drawing us into the reality of prayer. 
and making it the reality in which we live. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance by your Holy Spirit that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord, that we need not ever fear slavery, need not ever fear abandonment, but always know that we never pray alone, but always in you and in your sonship. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And please stand for the benediction. Unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.